So let's start with the rapid fire rounds. The first one is, at what age do you want to retire? Um, I'm 72 now and I don't think I want to retire anytime soon. How long does it take you to get ready in the mornings? I, I take a while to uh, catch up on the news uh, before I even get out of bed. So I would say I'm at least an hour before I'm ready to face the day. Most embarrassing moment of your life? Probably I'm having the most embarrassing moment of my life right now. <laughs> favorite color? I don't have a favorite color. What time of day are you most inspired? Inspiration comes to me uh, around mid-afternoon. How many hours of sleep can you survive on? I usually get by uh, between five and six hours of sleep, but I appreciate sex. Fill in the blank. An upcoming journalism trend is blank. An upcoming journalism trend is trying to prove you're not an AI. The city in which the best kiss of your life happens. Pass. <laughs> Pick one, Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. I'll, I'll, I'll pick Mark Zuckerberg. The biggest mistake of your career? Biggest mistake of my career was not starting it, sir. How do you relax? I relax by um, reading uh, genre fiction. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? I just recently cut back from three cups of coffee a day to one. A habit of yours that you hate. I have a habit I hate. Probably uh, I, I look at my phone too much. The most valuable skill you've learned in life. The most valuable skill I've learned in life is giving compliments. Your favorite Netflix show. I love The Diplomat on Netflix. The last song you've been listening to? Um, the performance song by Mick Jagger, the Rycooter playing sly guitar. And the last movie that had a good impression on you? I thought that uh, Air was a great movie. So the first question is, given your expertise in covering major tech companies, what emerging trends or developments do you think will have the biggest impact on our digital society in the next decade? In assessing what technology is having the biggest impact, it's not even close. AI is now the story in technology because it's the one that's going to affect every human on Earth, um, whether they actively agree with it or not. Um, and we don't really know where it's going, but it's going to change things. And do you think there's going to be AI fatigue at some point, or is it an overhyped trend, or what's going to happen with it? When I covered the internet in 1994, 1995, uh, it was very hard to overestimate the impact that the internet would have. No matter what we said about it, it turned out to be insufficient in terms of you know, the changes it would make. I feel the same way about AI. 
people might get fatigued with AI, but the progress is not going to stop and it's going to be continue to be a vital issue. And so having seen the internet boom happen, how would you compare it to the AI one? In what ways? I think like, like the internet boom, it, it touched everything. So I think that that's comparable to AI. Um, what is not comparable is the intimate nature of AI and its like ability to do what we do. The internet never really pretended to be human beings or never uh, presented itself as an intelligence in and of itself. So there's unique challenges to AI that we didn't see with the internet. How has the introduction of AI tools like ChatGPT and Microsoft Bing affected Google's monopoly in the search engine market? Google was, was cut back because even though Google's technology was as good as anyone else's when it came to AI and large language models, um, they were uh, commendably being cautious on how they rolled it out. Um, and when Microsoft integrated OpenAI into their technology, uh, and particularly their search engine, uh, Google felt it couldn't sit on the technology anymore and started rushing things out. So like it or not, we're in an AI arms race. So what are the primary reasons behind the sudden craze surrounding these alternative AI tools? Uh, the, you know, the embrace of AI isn't uh, because it's an interesting toy, it's because you could actually do things with it. Um, you've got to be careful, you've got to check your facts. Um, and if you're a commercial publication, you might check your copyright issue uh, before you use an image from Dolly or Midjourney or something. But um, it, what distinguishes it makes it vital now is that you could put it to use now. So as the author of Facebook, The Inside Story, what insights can you share about the culture and impact of the social media giant? Uh, the thing about Facebook to remember is how integral growth was to everything it did. Uh, from the very start, Mark Zuckerberg was figuring out how to grow it more and his vision was to have everyone on the planet um, use his product and, or products now and you know, uh, to fill in uh, what he referred to as the social graph. Uh, as it went on, he went beyond that because every trend that every other company did, he wanted to integrate that into what he did. But the North Star was always growth. Uh, to get more people, and then once you got more people, to get them to do more things on his uh, platform. So in light of the growing competition from platforms like Twitter and others, what do you think of Facebook's current position in the market compared to TikTok, Twitter, and all the others? I think Facebook uh, has some challenge in that it's plateaued in some of its core functions. Um, and it did very well in appropriating stories from Snap. That's a big driver of its attention and revenue now. Um, and I think uh, with Reels, it has a chance to uh, be really successful, particularly if TikTok gets banned in the US. So as someone who's witnessed the evolution of the internet and its impact on society, what are your thoughts on the challenges of maintaining privacy and security in the digital age? It's a continuing challenge to uh, keep privacy uh, you know, uh, safe in the digital age. The digital age was not built 
to, to keep our privacy. And um, uh, most of the things we're doing now to address this are sort of uh, blocking abilities that technology has uh, natively. Um, and in the long run, that's not going to work. Um, and in terms of safety, uh, we have never been able to come up with a truly effective way to make things safe. So uh, I don't have a rosy forecast for either of those areas. So how can we address these challenges to create a safer digital environment? Well, yeah, I mean, well, the, the challenge uh, in privacy is, you know, uh, the, we have unlimited ability to capture data, store data, and imp implement data. And uh, it's very difficult to re restrain those abilities uh, once they're rolled out. For instance, face recognition is something that is relatively simple to do now, and passing a law against it will stop it among some companies that follow the law, but there's you know other places and governments that are going to implement it in a widespread fashion. And if uh, you know another security panic like happened after 9/11 occurs, um, then we're going to see that slide back. So um, in New York City now, you have to show an ID before you go into any big commercial building. Um, and I predict in a few years you won't have to show ID because they'll have your face available to them and they'll be able to check who you are uh, without you even slowing down. How do Apple's Vision Pro headset and Meta's focus on the metaverse reflect different visions of the future of computing and immersive experiences? So, uh, though Meta uh, has been pursuing uh, mixed reality for years, and Apple just made their announcement, um, uh, they're somewhat competitive, but have different visions of it. Uh, the DNA of Meta is based on gaming. And what Mark Zuckerberg has always said the future is, is a social interaction. Whereas uh, Apple sees their Vision Pro and their spatial computing as an extension of the advances and inflection points and computer interfaces that we've seen over the last half a century. Um, from the graphical user interface to uh, you know the mobile interface, and where you know because you have touch technology, um, and you know they say uh, the you know their may, way of controlling it by uh, your hand motions and eye motions as on an artificial uh, canvas as part of that, and it's more of a workplace thing um, and an individual activity than you know, something for gaming or social. So there's two different visions, but the technology uh, has, you know, is basically the, uh, the same. The technology dream they're, they're chasing uh, and the challenges they're gonna have and the breakthroughs that have to be made are the same. So do you feel that there is a chance that the breakthroughs or these developments would collapse like Google Glass did because people don't like wearing stuff? It's an open question about whether people want to spend um, much of their time in a digital environment. Um, the question becomes easy when you're asked to wear like a headset uh, that is uncomfortable in the long term. And, you know, that, um, you know, but when you get something that's lightweight, there still is a question about whether people are going to want to 
make that immersive experience or semi-immersive experience their everyday reality. Um, I think they're going to say they don't want it, but if the experience and the, the value they get um, and the entertainment they get from having it uh, is considerable, um, I think they're going to put their qualms aside, just like we put our qualms aside about staring into an iPhone screen all the time and adopt it if the technology is good enough and lightweight enough and non-intrusive enough. So having written extensively about major tech companies like Google and Facebook, how do you navigate the challenge of balancing objective reporting while uncovering the intricacies of these powerful entities? I think I've managed to uh, pretty well be fair to the companies I'm writing about and be able to maintain ongoing relationships while being critical of the technology. Um, I'm not afraid to say something is good when it's good. Some reporters feel that, you know, that's giving up something, that you have to be tough even if you think something is good. Like, you know, so, you know, if the iPod is great, I'm going to say the iPod is great, but you also have to be able to call out when the technology is not good, when there's mistakes made, when, you know, uh, things are done to benefit the company more than the user. So I feel if you're able to fairly call out what's good and what's bad, um, you're going to be good to your reader, good to yourself, and good to the, your subjects. And so what are the ethical considerations in this kind of reporting? And how do you address the complexities of potential biases associated with such coverage? Well, you're, you're not going to want these companies you write about to subsidize you or in any way, like, pay for your, for your work. Um, and you have to call things out when you, even if you have someone in, tech, you know, in the tech world with a long relationship with, um, uh, you're not going to jeopardize that relationship with a tweet, you know, come in necessarily and be snarky about them. And then they say like, yeah, hey, what'd you do that for? But when you're writing a story, um, your first responsibility is to your reader. And by and large, the you know, major figures in tech understand that. It's really only the bottom feeders who will hold a grudge against you for calling people out when you're fairly calling them out. So in your public speaking engagements, what key messages or insights do you hope to convey about the digital revolution and the culture of high tech? You know, when I speak you know, in, in public, I try to make it get across that we're only in the beginning of this revolution, even though it's been going on for almost a half a century, uh, uh, you know, maybe since the microchip, and it's only you know, it's one story building on, on, on the others, um, the big acts uh, you know, are still to come. Um, and you know, uh, there's still time to get in on the ground floor, as, as it were, um, and pursue this. And you know, uh, if you have an open mind, um, you're living, you realize you're living in a thrilling, exciting time, a time with a lot of perils, but also, you know, a time that's, well, maybe unique in human history. So uh, it's great to participate in that. So what are some of the most impactful anecdotes or stories you share to convey the key message of this digital revolution or the insights about it? Oh, when I, when I was just starting, um, uh, in the early 80s and writing about this, 
I always felt bad. I said, gee, if I started a few years earlier, I could have gone to Apple Computer when they were beginning. You know, and that would have been a great story to write about, you know, the garage at Apple and, you know, maybe, you know, coming out with the Apple II uh, and really getting on the ground floor. And I was like whining about this one day to Stuart Brand, you know, the great founder of the Whole Earth Catalog. And he said to me, Stephen, what are you talking about? One day people will be coming to you and saying, what was it like when you were starting to write about the personal computer industry at Apple and the Macintosh in 1984? And he was utterly right. Um, so now, um, even though I felt I started a, a, a little late, people are, you know, asking me about what it was like back then in the 1980s, in the 1990s when the internet was getting underway. And I believe the people who jumped on and maybe started writing about AI this year, sometime 30, 40 years from now, people are going to say, wow, what was it like to write about AI in 2023? That's so true. So the last question for you is of a personal kind. What would you be doing in your life if not this? I think um, I am so lucky to be doing this because anything else I'd be doing in my life would not be as interesting. Um, when I was a kid, I thought um, I maybe couldn't make a living as a writer and I would be an academic. And I went to grad school and got a master's, but decided that wasn't for me. Um, uh, so if I had followed that course, you know, there's worse things to be, but I, I would be nowhere as happy as I am now, uh, whether like an academic or a lawyer or, um, or anything else. So I'm happy that I'm doing this because really I can't do anything else half as well. <laughs>